Amen. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Pretty good? Awesome. Hey, it is so good uh, to have you here. And again, we want to say a special welcome uh, to any guests and visitors that are with us uh, today. Something we talk about every morning we gather with the the worship team and everybody that's a part of the service uh, up front here. And uh, we just have some time of prayer and talk a little bit about what's going to be going on during the service. And I remind them every single week, one, to be on their best behavior, and they do that pretty well. Um, But I also remind them, you know, for somebody out there, this is their first Sunday. And for some of you, this is your first Sunday. Whether you just drove by and saw the signs, you heard about this uh, new church starting in this car dealership in Des Moines or, or whatever's going on, for some of you, this is your very first Sunday. And for some of you, you've been coming, this is your thousandth time. I want it to be the same experience for all of us because the gospel is that powerful, because Jesus is that powerful. And so I, I just pray that whether it's your first or a hundredth or anywhere in between, that, that this can speak to you today. God has something very powerful that he wants to say to you. And I know that we say this phrase every single week and we say, we believe it's no accident that you're here. And we don't just flippantly say that and just kind of throw that around. We really, truly believe that. And that was certainly the case last week, that it was no accident what happened. Some of you weren't in town. Some of you might have missed it or been to a different service or whatever. But after both services last weekend, as we were preaching about John the Baptist and repentance and and that whole idea of baptism, we kind of spontaneously at a few of our campuses just decided to invite anybody up that that wanted to be baptized. There's not a guilt thing. It wasn't a pressure thing. We just invited people to come on up. And so we had our, we had a baptism actually scheduled that day. And then we had a 17 more baptisms that were not scheduled. So praise God for that. How cool was that? Um, and, and it's not about numbers. It's not about the show. It's about what God was doing in people's hearts. That was the thing, is that people maybe came in not I- expecting that. And so I'm sure uh, a lot of you, and maybe the, you've walked in here before like this, and I'm sure that for those people that were baptized last week, they were probably just walking in here thinking, oh, you know, this is just going to be one more Sunday. It's going to be one more Sunday. I kind of know how this whole church thing goes. I'm going to come in here, get my coffee, and not too many donut holes. Please, people, save some for the next service. Um, and, and, and I'm going to come in here and get my donut holes, and, and I'm gonna, we're going to sing some songs, and I'm going to hear a sermon and kind of get pepped up, and then I'm going to go home. It's just going to be one more Sunday, but you didn't. And it was amazing to hear the stories of the people that came forward. I wish that I could just line them all up here and have you tell you their story firsthand. I get to experience that. And just what a tremendous blessing that was. And one, one story in particular stood out. Uh, a, a guy came up and he said, you know, whenever the call, you know, at church comes out to put your faith in Jesus, he said, I always assumed it was for somebody else. He said, I've been thinking about it. I've been praying about it for a while. I've been kind of doing the church thing, but I'd never really put my faith in Jesus Christ. I never really made that personal for me. And he said, I just always assumed it was for, for somebody else. And I, I, I don't, you know, I... I'm a guy, so I don't get too all emotional about these things, but he was saying, for me, faith has always been more of a private thing. So it would be my worst nightmare to walk up in front of the entire church, right, and be baptized. But then he said this, God has lit a fire in my heart, and if I were to ignore that and not come up and give my life to him and be baptized, it would be like holding back a tidal wave, said, God is, is lit a fire in my heart, and I cannot ignore it any longer. Amen? Amen. That was, praise God for that. And that, that's what's going on in people's hearts. So this is, 
it's just real, it's just natural, and whether it's for those of you that that came up and were baptized last week, or those of you that, that, that came up for prayer, or those of you that are engaging in our many groups and classes and getting connected and meeting people. Uh, <laughs> let me just say this, and I know it sounds cheesy, but I'm going to say it anyway. I am so proud of you as a church. I am so proud of you. And I know it seems like something your dad would say to you or something like that, but your dad is saying that to you. Way more important than what I think I think your heavenly father is looking down on you and saying, those are my sons and my daughters, and I am so proud of them as a church. I just feel so humbled and blessed to be able to go home last week and throughout the whole week just have this glow, just this, this afterglow of what happened last week and really what God does every week, that, that, that I, I get to do this. We, I get to be a part of this. And, and how many pastors get to go home and just have this smile on their face the entire week because of you? Not just you, you're kind of weird and imperfect, but because of what God is doing through you. That's what we're selling, celebrating. That's what I'm excited about is that you're moving from being spectators up on the bleachers to being in the game. You're moving from spectators to being in the game. And the danger is to think, I know some of you may be thinking, and those of you uh, that, that, are, that are new or just checking things out, with all this excitement for those people, you know, the people that got baptized and did all that, you might be thinking, you know, John, I'm just more of a, I'm just kind of more of a normal Christian. You know, I, I, I'm a little more low-key about this whole faith things. You know, things like that, like where the Holy Spirit comes and, and gets a hold of me and I can't help but come up and be baptized— that doesn't happen to people like me. I'm Lutheran, you might be saying, right? We don't get too emotional about anything, right? For pity's sakes, coming up and being bad, things don't, like that don't, don't happen to me. The truth is, I want you to hear this morning, he's way closer to you than you think. He is way closer to you this morning than you think. He's not up there somewhere. He's right here. Here's what I mean. I want to draw this out for you. Sometimes I like kind of have to visualize this myself, and I'll try to swing it around and do my best Vanna White impersonation here. But here's what I think. Sometimes I think that we, we kind of set up these two little worlds, and it's actually, they don't really exist, but we kind of do it. And we have these two different worlds. We have this little world that, that uh, I'm just going to call the, the super spiritual world. And this, is, this world is reserved for people like Christians that really have it all together. It's those people that experience the Holy Spirit, and it, it's those people that like do weird things like hear God's voice when they pray, and people that raise their arms during worship. And, and you kind of look around and you say, oh man, I'm, I'm sure I'm not as spiritual as they are, and I'm not as mature as they are, and, I, and I, I'm sure I don't read the Bible as much as they do, and they pray, probably pray all the time, and they're probably really close to God, and they, they're always up on the mountaintop, and they're never in the valley, and they've got everything figured out, and you ask them a question about the Bible, and they've probably got it figured out, and they're like the people in the Bible, you know, the, the people that God speaks directly to, and these great Bible heroes. I could never be like that. That's the super spiritual world. You're saying, and then there's me, and I'm just ordinary. Here's what I love about that picture. The dad with the mustache up there, uh, gotta love the mustache. He's like, he's either saying, son, you forgot your eggs, or I'm so mad at you, I'm gonna throw these eggs at you because you're running a school. Like, that is a little bit better picture of most of our lives 
than that sometimes. Can you relate? Am I, am I on track here? Okay, this is kind of what our house is like uh, sometimes, just kind of mass chaos. Hey, get your eggs! And they're running, it's kind of mass chaos. And we like kind of, kind of look around here on Sundays and think, well, no, that must be what it's like all week. I'm sure that's what Pastor John and the rest of the staff do all week. They just sit in a room and pray and meditate and they never have any problems. Here's the thing. We, 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 we set this up and, 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 and we set this dichotomy up. And, and over here, you know, this is, we'll just kind of call this ordinary. And I'm guessing that if you had to pick, as I describe those, which one of those worlds you most often live in in your Christian faith, I would say for a more, majority of us, we would probably put ourselves there. This life is just ordinary. And then we look at that and we say, but there's this gap. And, and for a lot of you, your whole Christian life, maybe you've had a bad church experience or whatever, and you, you wish it could be like this. You wish you could feel connected to God, but it seems like your entire life, it's just kind of one thing after another, or life keeps throwing you curveballs, and you're never quite able to get over that hump, and you're always just kind of surviving, and life is just ordinary. And so there is this gap, and you say, this church thing is great and all, John, and I'll come every week, but I'm here and I'm never going to get to there. Here's the good news for you this morning. There is no gap. This is a perception, and I don't think it really exists. At least not for me. Maybe it does for you, but at least not for me. There is no gap, because when it comes to experiencing Jesus, and when it comes to reading the stories of Scripture, I really hope this is good news for you. Where we see Jesus showing up is right here. Right in the midst of the ordinary. Right in the midst of your daily grind. Right in the midst of your limitations. Right in the midst of your weaknesses. And he can identify with us in that. That's right where Jesus wants to meet you this morning. So you can stop your striving and you can stop your trying to be good enough to be a good enough Christian and to get up into that other world because it's just a figment of our imaginations. Yes, we want to be spiritual. Absolutely, we want to do all those things. But Jesus meets you right where you are. I love how the writer of Hebrews puts it for us this morning. And I, I kind of unpack the message version once in a while because I just kind of get a different take. And what, what's, what's they, what are they really saying here? I'm going to read the first part of this for you in verse 14. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest, get this, with ready access to God, let it, let's not let it slip through our fingers. And then here's the last couple verses. Let's read it together up on the screen. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all. Here's what I love about that verse. We have ready access to God. Meaning, right here where you are today in your ordinary, perceived ordinary life, you have ready access to God right here. You don't have to climb the ladder to get to him. He's right here for you this morning. He's closer than you think because 2,000 years ago, Jesus came there. If we learn anything about Christmas, Jesus came, was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's like the least important town ever. Nothing exciting ever happens at Bethlehem, especially in a feeding trough in a manger. Jesus comes into the ordinary. This Jesus guy, 
is way more applicable to your life this morning than you can imagine. Way more applicable. And this morning, I want to show you why. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 2, if you're not there already. Luke chapter 2. I want to encourage you to kind of get in that habit of they're not in the rows anymore, so grab one from the bookshelf on your way in. Uh, certainly, if you have the Bible on your phone, there's a lot of good apps out there. I would encourage you to do that. And then you, you always have it with you, and there's Bible reading plans for your phone. I would encourage you to do that as well. If you're new to Hope or have been gone for a while or need a little reminder, we are in this series called uh, Back to the Basics, and we're, we're looking at the Gospels through the whole year, and the series we're in right now is called Meet Jesus. And so we're a few weeks back, we celebrated Christmas and, and Jesus coming as a baby, and everybody loves cute babies, right? Every baby's cute. Everybody loves cute babies, but here's the thing. The next thing we see in the Bible, Jesus isn't a baby anymore. He's a fully grown man. And there's only one story that gives us any clue to what happened between Jesus being a baby and Jesus being 30 years old, or so theologians think. There's only one story, and that's the story that we're going to look at today. So if you got it, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 41. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's going to be in the last third of your Bible, so I would encourage you to check that out. Luke chapter 2. It says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. So let's stop there for a second. What is happening? If you need a little uh, history lesson here, Passover was one of three sacred festivals that Jewish men, like Jesus' dad, Joseph, would go to every single year. So the men were required to go. The women were not required to go, but they could. It was optional for them. And so they, they would go. And so our scripture tells us that Mary and Joseph went every year. And so they took Jesus with them. In other words, if you kind of take a step back, Mary and Joseph weren't spectators to their faith. They were actively engaged. And particularly, they took the role of raising their kids in the faith as one of the most important things that they could do. They probably immersed Jesus in the great stories of the Bible and, and particularly the Passover, which this was all based on, of God rescuing his people from Egypt. But here's the thing. In Jesus' day, if you asked any child under the age of 12, or really any child of any age, who taught you to follow God? Who is the primary role model in, in, in your faith development? Who is that person that taught you what it looks like to follow God? Without hesitation, my parents. That's not always the case today. That's not always the case. Without hesitation, my parents. And God's heart hasn't changed. For those of you that are parents, and when I say parents, some of you are think like, oh, just of the little kids. No, if you have kids of any age, even if they're 40 or 50 years old, you're a parent. Once a mom, always a mom. Once a dad, always a dad. Do you know that the greatest gift that you can give your kids is a living, breathing, daily relationship with Jesus Christ? You can get them all sorts of things for Christmas, and you know what? By now, they're probably broken or in the closet. The best gift that you can ever give your kids is a daily relationship with Jesus. And that's what Mary and Joseph realized. And so we don't know much about them as parents, but we, we know this, that they gave Jesus that gift. 
Now think about that for us here, too. In light of that, you are the primary spiritual influence in your kids' lives. We have a great Kingdom Quest program that's going on right now on the other side of that wall. And your kids are getting loved and poured into and cared for in a safe and loving environment by volunteers. But here's the thing. That was always meant to be a side dish, not the main course. When it comes to pouring into our kids' lives here in this church, that is a supplement to what you're doing the entire week. You are the main influence in their lives. They are looking at you. They are imitating you. I know this. I was at a, uh, driving behind a car that was going really, really slow the other day, and my almost two-year-old Caleb is right behind me in the car. And Sometimes I forget he's there, and these things just come out of my mouth. And so this guy in front of me was going super, super slow. The light had turned green, and so I said, excuse me, sir, I would love to bless you and pray for you. <laughs> I'm working on my patience because I am a pastor. I'm going to humbly bless you in Jesus' name. No, I said, go! Come on! <laughs> and from the back, I hear, go! Come on! <laughs> Seriously. He's, he's imitating everything that I say. Now think about that with a two-year-old and think about the power that you have of 18 years of these kids uh, under your household and you continue to influence them even when they're outside of the household. Think about the power that you have to influence their lives. Think about how much they're being influenced right now, the things that they're learning and tucking away in their heart. If my son is gonna go, go! How much more powerful is it for him to see me get up and read my Bible every single morning? I'm not always perfect, but I try. How powerful is it to have him see me and his mom praying together every single day? It doesn't matter if you, there's two parents in the house, if it's a single parent, whatever it is, you have that impact. Think of the potential that's there. This was never meant to be the main thing. For Mary and Joseph, a relationship with God as parents wasn't a thing, it was the only thing. But, before we start to put Mary and Joseph up on this pedestal, some of you are like, oh man, they're probably here. I mean, they're the parents of Jesus. He probably never had a dirty diaper, right? They're perfect, right? So before you start to put Mary and Joseph up here in the super spiritual world, let's read on. Back to the story, verse 43. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. That's important. His parents... <laughs> This is humorous. His parents didn't miss him at first. <laughs> Whoops, right? Verse 44, because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, okay, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. They didn't miss him at first? Like, what in the world is this? Like, folks, you are looking at the original script and the idea for your beloved Home Alone movies, Right? Now think about this for a second. They didn't come, they must have been reading Luke, right? In the rush of the crowd, think about Home Alone. In the rush of the crowd, Mary and Joseph do the head count for the kids, and they get to the airport, and Mary screams, Kevin! I mean, Jesus, where are you, right? My one and only son. We forgot our son. Can you imagine that? Or something like that. And some of you are thinking, these parents should be arrested, right? They left their 12-year-old kid in the largest, one of the largest cities in the world at that time, they should be arrested. Have you ever lost one of your kids, like in a public place? Parents, have you ever done that? Or maybe growing up, do you, do you remember ever being lost, like in Walmart or a big mall or something like that? Like, 
parents, think about that feeling for a second, just of, of you're walking along and all of a sudden your kids disappear. Like nothing can describe that feeling, right? So you can imagine the angst that Mary and Joseph are feeling. Like parents, you're sitting there going, that is my worst nightmare, right? For me, when I watch Caleb on, on my own, I still don't believe like, okay, it's still hitting me. I'm a dad. I'm responsible for another human life. Like this is sinking in. If I ever lost him, I feel like Tiffany would come to me and say, honey, you had one job to do, right? Don't lose the kid. Now think about the pressure that Mary and Joseph feel, right? What is Mary and Joseph thinking? God is saying, you had one job to do, right? Don't lose my son. And now we can't find him, right? Now, before we go beat up Mary and Joseph for being this, this mishap, look at it a little bit deeper. Why in the world, of all the stories of Jesus' life, would Luke choose to include this one? Kind of odd, kind of random, and I think one reason is simply this. We've got Mary and Joseph who are supposed to be these super spiritual, perfect parents that we've lifted up on this pedestal that we think we can never attain, and they screwed up. They screwed up. They made a mistake. They, they lost their kid. They weren't perfect, and neither are you. And neither are you. No matter what age your kids are, whether you have kids or not, there's no doubt that you and I put so much pressure on ourselves to handle everything right, to, to keep up with the families that we see around us, to have our kids always make perfect choices. Let me just say this. You could think you would do a perfect job raising your kids, and sometimes your kids are going to make poor choices. And ultimately, in the end, that is not an indictment on you. They're God's kids first. And your kids are going to make choices that sometimes are going to be hard for you to swallow. And it's at that point you've got to root your identity in Christ and say what they do is ultimately does not place value on how good of a parent I am. You do the very best you can and you trust God to fill in the gaps, amen? Whether you're a parent or not, we put so much pressure on ourselves, especially at church. I mean, keep it together for pity's sake, some of you are thinking. A few weeks ago, uh, we have a lot of young families in this church, as you can tell, uh, which is awesome. And, and I had a young mom come up to me several weeks ago that has a newborn. And, you know, when you're in church and you're supposed to pay attention and your kids are supposed to be perfect. And, and she said, I, Pastor John, I'm so sorry. My kid was, you know, crying during the sermon and I tried to get him out before they were a fuss. And I'm sorry if it was a big distraction. I did, did the best that I can. I said, why are you sorry? She's like, what? Like, she was so ashamed. She was, like, bowing down or something. I'm like, stop, 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 stop. Not the Pope or something here. And she, I'm so sorry. I said, what are you sorry for? I said, number one, I am so glad that you guys are here. I am so glad. She's like, what? And I go, and number two, you have a baby. They make a lot of noise. We kind of expect that around here. It's a sign of life. It's a sign of growth. And I said, it's actually normal, and we like that, and we love it that you're here, and you're so welcome. I said, we're not looking for perfect people here. We're looking for real people. And this young mom, you can just tell that this huge weight was just lifted off her shoulders. Oh. Oh, and I don't have to be a perfect parent even at church. Absolutely not. 
Absolutely not. Read this story today and experience God's grace for yourself. The other thing that's really easy to miss in this whole story is simply this. Think about this. Jesus was 12. Jesus was 12, which means that he was probably a baby once who cried during temple services when Mary and Joseph would take him there, right? Can you imagine being that pastor and getting annoyed with that family and say, uh, ma'am, could you take out your baby, please? And then you find out that you kicked the Son of God out of your church. That would be, <laughs> oh, it was the baby, it's Jesus. Oh, shoot, you know, like that, that whole thing. That would, that would be bad, but I, I digress, right? Jesus was 12, which means that he was six, which means that he was a toddler once. Just think about this. It also means Jesus was 16. Ooh. <laughs> means that Jesus was in his 20s. Like he was a young man and he was a grown man, which I just, thinking about it, which means that he grew up, we see today, in an imperfect family. Jesus probably had to work through fitting in with friends. Yeah, here we go. See, she's coming up checking it out. <laughs> There you go. Praise God. Absolutely, right? Hey, by the way, we are so glad that you guys are here. Absolutely. <laughs> Who needs sermon illustrations? Well, we can do baptisms later, too, if you want to do that. Um, absolutely. You can hang out as long as you want. Um, Jesus probably worked through all those things. Jesus probably worked through his struggling with the purpose that God had given him. I'm sure none of you can relate growing up in an imperfect family. I'm sure that we need to start doing children's sermons again. This would be, this would be awesome. No? Come on up. There you go. Absolutely. She's just hanging out. It's not going to be a distraction, is it, for you? Okay, absolutely. Want to come back? No, pastors are scary. Okay, gotcha. Okay, come on back. There we go. Awesome, there we go. All right. <laughs> if you want to do this every week, that'd be an awesome, awesome illustration. Absolutely. Um, I'm just going to keep going, and this is going to be great. Um, None of us can relate to growing up in an imperfect family, I'm sure. None of us can relate to trying to find our purpose in life, I'm sure. But here's the thing. If Jesus was 12, that means that he was fully human, which means that he's probably walked in your shoes. And so often we think that Jesus is here when clearly Jesus loves to meet us right there right where you are today. It's not that Jesus wasn't spiritual. Of course that he was, but he lived in a way that just screams out to us this morning, wherever you are and whatever you're going through, I've been there. I've been there. Whatever you're going through, I've been there. Jesus, in a lot of ways, has walked right in your shoes. Think about it this way. I've got a, a friend that's a dad. He's got a couple young boys, and they're a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And he was telling me the other day just how excited his little boys get when they, when they dress the same as him or they look the same as him or, or they do something 
uh, in the same way. For instance, they have this five-year-old, and his name is Carson, and he happens one day to have jeans and like a blue uh, t-shirt on. And he just thought it was so cool that one day his dad came down from getting dressed and had jeans and a, and a, and a, and a blue t-shirt on, and they happened to dress the same. And so he said that, that Carson came running to me, and he goes, Daddy, 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 same, same. Same, same, and that's his big thing is same, same. And so uh, he said they, they like to play football. And so their, their youngest son, Austin, the three-year-old, they, like, they'll wrestle and play football together, but they don't like it when their dad like towers over them, right? Because if you're a three-year-old, you're really small, right? And so he, daddy's pretty tall. He's tower, he's, he said, they like it when I get down and look them in the eyes and come into their world that we're not so different from them. They like it when I get down into their world, and when, I, when he says, when I look them in the eyes, then my little three-year-old says, Daddy, same, same, same. And in your relationship with God, I don't think that it's that different. Same, same. We just assumed, well, he's God, and he's holy other, and I'm so Ordinary, so I have to be super spiritual in order to relate. But think about this. If Jesus was 12, that Jesus was fully human, Jesus grows up, and I just want you to think about Jesus' life and what he experienced for a second, and I want you to think about this in your own life. Have you ever felt misunderstood by those around you? Jesus says, same, same. Have you ever felt abandoned or alone? Jesus says, same, same. You ever been tired or discouraged or overwhelmed? <laughs> Jesus says, same, same. I've been there. Stories like the 12-year-old Jesus remind us he's a lot closer to you this morning than you think. And because of that, he comes to you not only as fully man, but he comes to you as God, and he can speak into your life this morning with a power and authority, not as one towering over you, but as one that can look you in the eyes this morning and say, same, same. And he says, I love you right where you are this morning, but I refuse to leave you that way. I'm not going to let you settle for where you're at. And, and you might just say, well, this is who I am, and this is the things I'm struggling with, and these are the habits I have, and this is the sin that's been in my life. And Jesus says, it is not going to stay that way. When you're following me, that means transformation. You don't stay the same. I love you right where you are, and I'm not going to leave you that way, Jesus says. Same, same, but in so many ways, not the same. The message of this story today isn't that Jesus was lost. It's that he was found. So go back to the story in Luke 2 and pick it up in verse 46. I love this. I love the irony here in the Bible. Three days later, they found Jesus. Okay, think about this. Three days later, Jesus appears. Recognize that from anywhere else in the story? Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Kind of like this, just sitting up here. So all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So you might be thinking, three days later, Jesus, you are some rebellious punk kid, right? Don't you think that your parents would be worried sick? They have to travel all the way back, and then three days later, 
Now they finally find you. But look a little bit deeper in the story. Jesus is not being some rebellious, disobedient kid intentionally. This might just be the first time that Mary and Joseph start to grasp Jesus' true identity. This is not an ordinary 12-year-old boy. Let's take a look of how it might have looked. Kind of gives you a glimpse into what it must have been like. Yes, Jesus is same, same, but oh so different. Not an ordinary 12-year-old boy. There's this thing called adolescence. Have you heard of it? There's this thing called adolescence, right? Where some, sometimes, even in our world here today, sometimes it's this period between being 12 and 20, 30-something, as that can go on sometimes. And, and women and men, but guys in particular, are trying to find their place in life. Guys are asking this question, what, what exactly makes a real man or not? And th- that was not the case in Jesus' day. Adolescence in Jesus' day didn't exist because as a 12-year-old, you maybe heard of this before, that when they were at the end of their 12th year and becoming 13 as Jesus was, they would go through this ceremony, this initiation ceremony called the bar mitzvah. Everybody say the bar mitzvah. There you go. And they would go through this, and, and this is when a boy went from being under primarily his father's spiritual leadership at age 12 to then entering the temple system, and if he was lucky enough to begin studying under a rabbi. And if there was, there was usually no doubt if the boy understood his identity as a man at this point. You might think, wow, 13 and you were a man? Absolutely. He totally understood. Why did he know he was a man? Because his dad told him so. Because his parents were the primary spiritual leaders in his life. And that was probably the case for Jesus, working with Joseph in the carpenter shop all those days, all those years. Reminds me of a, a quick story. We, we do this class at Hope uh, that used to be called Quest for Authentic Manhood, and now it's called 33. In fact, we're going to start it here in a few weeks. And guys, I would encourage you to get involved with that. But specifically for guys that are wrestling with this question, and guys, I just want to you know, throw this out there this morning. You don't have to yell it out. But when did you become a man? Like, at what point in your life, guys, did you feel like, now I'm a real man? Was it when you graduated high school? Was it when you got your first car? Was it when you got married? Was it when you had kids, bought your first house? What, what is it that makes you a man? And that was the question that these guys were wrestling with in this class. And one of our guys here from Hope told us a story that his son, that, that he poured into and mentored, that was in, in high school, and he taught him these things about the role of a man, went off to college, and he was in some religion class at college. And the topic came on, what is it that makes a real man or a real woman? And the professor stood up in front of this class and said, okay, who would like to raise their hand and tell me, what, what is a real man? What is it that makes a man? And it was like crickets, like no hands went up just out of shame and embarrassment until the son of this guy that had been through this class and pouring into him kind of slowly raised his hand and he stood up and said, A real man is one who rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and lives for God's greater reward. Dead silence in the room. I'm sure all the other guys were like, 
And the teacher said, where did you learn that? Thinking it'd be some scholarly class or Bible study or something like that. Where did you learn that? And the young boy said, my dad. My dad. Oh, that that would be true of us. Jesus knew that it was time to be a man, not only because Joseph had taught him, but because most importantly, he clearly understood his identity. Jesus was fully human, but he was also fully God. And in that, Jesus shows us two important truths. I want you to write these down. I want you to ponder these this week. Jesus sitting in the temple, what do we know? Number one, that our identity fuels our activity. Write that down. Our identity fuels our activity. Why was Jesus hanging out in the temple? Because sons love to be with their fathers. And Jesus has a heavenly father that has set the course of his life. What did you hear in the video there? He asked Mary, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Another translation says, didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? Didn't, didn't you know this is where, that I would, that where I would be? His identity as a son of God fuels his activity. And so my question for you this morning is, what about you? What is the driving force behind everything that you do? Think about it. Why do you have the job that you do? Why do you dress the way that you do? Why do you make the priorities in your life the way that you do? Why do you act the way that you do? Is it because you're getting this pressure from your family? Is it simply because what others around you in your season of life are doing? Or are you so confident and rooted in your identity as a son or daughter of God that it impacts everything that you do in your life? I'm a son or daughter of the king, which means I don't have to talk like that, which means that I really don't need to worry as much as I do, which means that I'm going to serve my spouse instead of trying to keep score which means I'm, I'm going to let my father's opinion of me define what man gets to pursue my heart for ladies today. What does that mean for you? Jesus lets his identity fuel his activity. That's number one. And the second thing is, I want you to write this down, our mission supersedes all else. Our mission supersedes all else. In this moment, did Jesus strive to be a faithful son and honor his parents? Absolutely. And we should as well. We should seek to be faithful parents and children and coworkers and neighbors and all of that. But the mission of being about his father's business, being about kingdom work, was more important to Jesus than anything else. Remember this passage from Matthew chapter 6? You've heard this before. Let's read this nice and loud together from verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says, think about this for a second, it's not being about God's mission or being a great parent. It's not being on mission for God or having an awesome career. It's not being on mission for God or your hobbies. It's being on mission for God in and through everything that you do. 12-year-old Jesus in the temple is saying, I know who I am, and I'm all in for God's mission. He knows exactly who he is, and he knows exactly what his mission is. Do you? Or are you still kind of just going through the motions? Because here's something. You want to know something that's kind of funny about us as Iowans? I may have told you this before, but this is just, it continues to come to me. I've lived in Iowa basically my entire life, and here's what I know. Iowans love to talk about the weather, and for the most part, we're for God. 
There's some exceptions, but for the most part, we're for God. We're all about church. We're for Jesus. We think it's a good idea. We're, we're all about children's ministry for the kids. We're, we're for small groups and Bible studies and servings and serving. And the thing is, we just don't have time. There's a lot of other things that are more important to me. I, I just don't have time, uh, Pastor John, to get personally involved. I mean, they're all good things, but it's really for other people. It's probably for these people. But here in my ordinary busy life, I just don't have time to get personally involved. And, and someday I would like to, and my challenge to you this morning is, when is someday? When is that day going to come? When is that day going to come where you're going to stop playing church and start being the church? What's your plan? I, I want to challenge you a little bit while it's still January and you're thinking about resolutions. Where's your relationship with God on your priority list for 2015? Where's that at? Listen to 12-year-old Jesus. My mission defines my entire life. Maybe it's time for you to go from spectator to in the game because you are way more a part of this team than you know. And nobody knows that better than a young boy named Jacob Jarvis. You may have heard this past week the Ohio State Buckeyes, and it pains me to tell you this, being a Hawkeye fan. The Ohio State Buckeyes won the national championship. Did you hear this in football? Kind of a big game, right? Uh, what you may not know, who you may not know, is their biggest fan, who is more a part of their team than he will ever realize. Are you on the field or are you in the stands? Are you on the team or are you sitting on the sidelines? Let's take a look. You know, for me and my teammates, you know, you and your brother, you guys don't know what it does to us, you know, when you guys show up to practice and you guys show up with a smile on your face, like, you know, it's, it's hard, man, I know, but, you know, what you do for us, and I, don't, I don't think we could ever repay you. And, uh, it's very special to me to be part of the Ohio State football team. It all started in Friday Night Lights of 2013. It's a pretty prestigious camp at Ohio State. Urban Meyer came over, uh, started to talk to Jacob. He started to play catch with me. I'll never forget, someone introduced me to him and I looked down and we started playing catch and I mean for an hour. And I started teaching him how to throw. He really hit me right in the heart. Jacob is 14 years old. He was diagnosed with Duchenne muscular dystrophy at the age of four. Duchenne muscular dystrophy is a fatal X chromosome disease. Usually a boy is bound to a wheelchair in the early teens and typically becomes fatal in the mid-20s. That's Jacob's prognosis and unfortunately our youngest sons as well. I very much admire his family. Jacob and I are extremely close. Do you remember this? What's yeah. this? It's that Irvin gave me at Ohio State. And what's it say? Jacob, my best friend, Irvin Meyer. I invite him to practice. Start inviting him to team dinners and our players love him. Do you remember that moment mm -hmm. when he kneeled down next to Jeff? The first time I met him was at practice two years ago. Got him a pair of cleats. 
came back next week and every week during you know special teams I would just sit there and talk to him. It's just kind of a friendship that's grown. I saw the energy drained out of Jacob when he realized that he could no longer do what other kids do. He faces that fact every day of the things that he can do less and less. Buckeye captains Jeff Hireman, Michael Bennett, Duran Grant, Curtis Grant coming out to the midfield strike. Well, this being Duchenne, muscular dystrophy awareness week, the Buckeye honorary captains, 14-year-old Jacob Jarvis, 7-year-old Noah Studebaker. He feels a part of something bigger than himself. He feels truly like he's a part of the team. That, in and of itself, energizes him. My favorite part about winning this game is being able to do this. And uh, so for me and my teammates and our coaching staff, we just want to say thank you to you and your brother. And uh, you know, we got a long journey ahead, so you got to be there with us, homie. What Jeff said um, made me um, more emotional. Uh, some of the football players were crying too. I was crying. You alright? You want to say a couple words? Yeah. Hey, Steve. Go Bucks. Go Bucks. Go Bucks. Yeah! Jacob is way more a part of that team than he will ever realize. Makes us think about today, we should never underestimate the power of a little boy. Whether it's Jesus in the temple or where it's, whether it's Jacob reminding us, <laughs> life is way too short to stand on the sideline. Life is way too short to consume your way through it. You gotta get in the game. You gotta be a part of the team. Never underestimate what a little boy can teach you. Let him into your ordinary, imperfect world today because he understands. Let him remind you of your identity as a son or daughter. And last but not least, let Jesus move you today from the sideline or from the bleachers into the game and into the team. Amen? I want to just leave it at that today. I want to stand and respond and worship, so I'd invite you to stand, and we're going to sing about a God whose arms are open wide. And he's saying, I accept you just as you are today, so run into my arms. My love is for you. This is for you today, not just the person next to you. It's for you. So let's respond, and let's worship, and let's sing of God's goodness, even in our not goodness, even in our imperfections and our weakness, God is good and, and he's way closer to you than you think this morning. So let's stand and let's worship him.